All right, well, thanks for, uh, for coming here today. It's really nice to, to meet you. If I haven't met you before, I'm David. Um, and uh, just really grateful for the opportunity to be able to kind of explain a little bit of the way that I see God moving around us. Um, when I think about um, church in general, and when I think about the way of Jesus at work in the world um, today, um, my heart breaks because I know that there are a lot of people who have um, found more than enough reasons to wander away from Jesus or the church. And um, what I think that comes from is uh, a, a really fragile way that church has been done in the West for a while, where there's ideas that are followed, and there are men that are followed, instead of it being truly the heart of Jesus for us. And so over the last few generations, um, America has actually had uh, the benefit of being quite um, wealthy. We've been able to provide a comfortable existence for um, many people who are Christians. And uh, unfortunately, the idea of comfort and Christianity have been conflated where we actually think the two um, are, are one. It's part of the part and parcel together. Now, uh, unfortunately, we, we've seen in the, in the church um, leadership fall in the last generation um, and in the current generation. And we've seen um, systems or organizations fail um, where there's been a, a revelation of things just not showing up how they should be. Um, I was... This, when I was thinking about this text this morning, um, the, 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 the scene from The Wizard of Oz came to my mind. Um, and it's one of the most intriguing scenes um, where Dorothy, the Cowardly Lion, Tin Man, and Scarecrow, they all make it into the Oz's presence, right? And it's like, whoa, crazy, loud noises, big, massive screen with this guy's face on it. There's fire. And uh, they're like intimidated by it. Um, but then Toto runs, runs up and he grabs the little curtain and pulls it back, right? And you see this little tiny guy just like working overtime to like make it all look so much bigger than it really is. And I feel like in this last generation, it's not Toto who's pulled back the curtain, but it's been God who's pulled back the curtain. And he's, he's, he's been unhappy with the uh, amount of um, projection that um, have been uh, allowed within the church culture. And, and this isn't a critique, this isn't a bash, because, you know, as a pastor who's been in ministry for the last almost 20 years, like, I've been part of it, you know, where this idea that's like, okay, we need to produce something. That, that is marketable, packetable, so that the people who in the community who are consumers will come and buy our products. And, and that's just so empty. It's so unable to actually sustain people. And so my heart has been for years just this longing and hunger for us to do something that is actually significant for us to, to spend our time and energy, resources, and imagination on things that God is behind and not merely just looking busy or trying to put on a show. And so um, over the last few weeks before Easter, we were kind of talking about the different ways that we're following Jesus. And it's nothing, nothing new or, or really strange. It's really just simplicity. It's stripping away the unnecessary to pursue the indispensable. 
And for us, when we look at the life of Jesus, that's loving God and loving others and pursuing our neighbors to make disciples. And so there's no trick to it, but really we're desiring to do a church where the veil is pulled back. Does that make sense? And so there's going to be simplicity. There's going to be clunkiness. There's going to be um, people working to see God move among us. But what I want us to know is that it's not going to be this projection. That, that we're not going to try and make it look like God is doing more than he's doing. We're going to actually just create space where God can move instead of building a church. So when you think about church, church planting or building a church, many of our default mentality is like, oh, the building. So we get this building. This is great. Um, doesn't belong to us, but we're, we're really grateful that the, the people who own the building are letting us meet here in the evening times. Um, so how do we get people in the church is the default mentality, because that in the world is success. More people equals success. But what if that's not the way that Jesus looks at it? What if that's not even the way that Jesus thinks about the kingdom of God? You see, when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he used a lot of illustrations. He used a net, a pearl, but most predominantly it was like a plant, a, a living organism where he's like, I am the vine and you are the branches. And I'm going to infuse your lives and I'm going to graft you into what I'm doing and I'm going to direct and grow something beautiful that has vitality and strength and is able to be a blessing to those people who are around it. See, this is what God has in mind when he thinks about a church. And I think it's really important for us to recognize that God never told us to build a church. He told us to build the kingdom. He said, I'll build my church, Peter. I'll build my church. But oftentimes, what, what can go really wrong is we can conflate the church that we're trying to build with the kingdom of God. And so we'll do things that promote the church, assuming that it's building the kingdom. But I heard a quote that, that really stuck with me, the idea that, that if you start by pursuing building a church, um, that's one way to do it. Or if you start by pursuing the kingdom of God, if you start by pursuing the kingdom of God, you will always end up with a church emerging. But if you start with a, trying to build a church in your mind, there is no guarantee that the kingdom will exist there. Because you can have a building full of people who look nothing like Jesus. And so for us, when, when we think about like uh, church in general, it's, it's more so the idea that um, it's not to fill a space, but it's to create space. It's to create these little pockets of life where we see and expect God to move in profound ways. So when we think about this text, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, check it out. Paul is going to this, um, this city of Corinth, which in, in this day and age, there was this culture of um, wealth, um, status, and one of the ways that you could get a lot of status was if you were really good at communicating. And so it was like this rhetoric. If you were really good at speaking or giving speeches or compelling people, they would have like competitions. So it's like the ancient version of like rap battles, you know what I mean? Where they're, they're not talking about much, but people are like, oh, hey, you know what I mean? So that's kind of the way it was. It actually became part of their, um, their quasi-Olympic competitions. So right alongside of boxing and running, Paul is seeing people who are competing for like winning the crowd's approval. 
So Paul goes into this circumstance where he had planted a church before and he had the followers there, but the followers were actually getting caught up by some of these teachers who were persuasive, these people who could make them feel and move by the way that they described things. And they were saying things in a different way and they were mocking Paul because he didn't come with strength and power. And that's where this passage really shows up. It's really quite interesting to think about that Paul, even though he knew if he showed up to Corinth and he used the rhetoric and the skills of language to motivate, to drive, to, to manipulate people, he could gain a hearing. He could gather a crowd. But Paul's saying, no, there's something more significant than a crowd. So that's where I'll dive in in chapter 2, verse 1. And when I, when I came to you, brothers... I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom, which in the original means more like tricky wording or calculated phrases, trigger words, virtue signaling. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech And my message, they were not in plausible words. I wasn't trying to to convince you or manipulate you of wisdom, but they were in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So he's like, I'm I'm holding back. I could have. Paul was one of the, he was excellently trained in rhetoric. In different circumstances, he used rhetorical skills. And so it's not just the, he's not against that, but he's saying, no, I don't want to say something in a certain way so that you confuse what's really happening here. I don't want you to show up and hear me and and mistake that that as long as, as I am honorable in your culture, you can trust me. Or as long as my my integrity lasts in front of you, you can trust me. He's like, no, no, I am fallible. I don't want you to trust me. I want you to trust Jesus. Because many of us have been a part of different churches, different families, different relationships. People fail us. Organizations fail us. There's systemic pain and wrongdoing in churches just like there is in the corporate world. And so I need us to be really careful that we don't conflate Sparrow City with the kingdom of God. Sparrow City, my heart's desire is that it would be a beautiful manifestation of the kingdom of God, where justice rules, where where we're connecting. When I say the kingdom of God, I mean that's us in connection with our God, walking in his care together with others and joining him on his mission. Communion with the Father in community with one another, moving forward in compassionate mission in the world. Communion, community, Compassion, it's the kingdom. And to the degree that we do that well, we're actually going to be able to see a beautiful community flourish. But when we don't do that well, we we are going to fall short and we're going to need grace. So there's no perfect image in mind, but there is the idea that God is going to have to do something special among us. So Paul, he shows up and he says, listen, I don't, I don't want to do this in the wrong way to build up a, a praiseworthy name for myself. I want your trust to be in God. Look at verse 5. So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
And we've been so tempted as the church to take the wisdom of men, all the leadership movement that took place, right? And the, the, um, the movement of seeker sensitivity. If you're newer to the church, I apologize, but there was a time where all the churches thought the biggest, best ideas was just to make the church look like the world so that the world would feel comfortable in the church. But in so doing, we're actually creating this culture that, that loves the world and adds on Jesus. And Paul says something more, more, more um, a scarier thing, he says, earlier on. If you'll turn with me to chapter 1 of the same book, one seventeen. In one seventeen, Paul continues the same language, yet in its first iteration, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We have to be so sober with this because what Paul is saying is there's actually a way for us to do ministry that looks really good to the outside. We could have a massive building. We can have great programs. We can have great kids stuff. We can do great camps. We can do all of that. But if we actually present Jesus in a way that is untruthful to who he is and we make people trust in our church or in our leadership, it is an empty faith. It's a faith that fails to save you. And so many of our friends and family, they've been around church and they're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to follow this church. I'm going to give it a chance. And then that church fails and they fall away. And they're like, well, I prayed the prayer. But who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in man to negotiate your relationship with God? Or are you entrusting yourself to the God of all creation? And so we just have to be so like, careful and aware that Jesus has to be the very center of what we do. And so for us, we're trying to have this minimalistic approach to the structure we do, not because we're going to worship the God of busyness, okay? So some, some people here are like, oh, you guys are into simplicity. Oh, awesome. That means I can still like, do all the stuff I want to do, and I can just add on church with. That's, that's not really the purpose of simplicity. It's actually just readdressing uh, what the church should be doing with the energy that we have. Um, Paul, in the same, same book, uh, he says earlier on, um, let me see where that's found. It's better if I read it. First Corinthians 9. And this, this is so captivating. 924. 924. I think it might be up there too. Now remember, within Corinth, they have the quasi-Olympics um, going on. He says this, Do you not know that in a, great, in a race all the runners run, 
but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. He's talking about spirituality. He's talking about the life that you live. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So listen, 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one who is beating the air. When I discipline my body, I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul is introducing the idea that you can be so busy and be making no impact on your spiritual health or even in the world that you're sent to. Did you see that? Like every runner runs, but they discipline their body. I don't box as one who is just swinging at the wind. I mean, there's been a desperation to, to the Christian community in the last generation, where we're like trying to stay relevant, we're trying to stay like a foot in the cultural wars, and we're just trying to like do everything we can to be meaningful. There are some churches who are compromising truth to stay relevant. Other churches who are who are kind of booting the the traditional way of doing things, which is fine uh, as long as they're staying in the course of Christ. But we're doing all of these things. We've tried everything. We're listening to the world on what's going to sell. We're studying comedians. We're doing all of these things. We're buying out books so that we can be number one on the bestseller list. I'm not thinking about anybody in particular. <laughs> we're doing all these things to try and be meaningful because we're convinced if we do that then we're going to be doing the stuff that matters. But what happens when the church is, is, is caught and, and the drape gets pulled back and we're like, what are we doing? Buying houses in Mexico? Like for Stafford? Like, I don't, it's not, it's, there's no shortage of like situations where the church is like, what is going on? And I mean, we've had those circumstances as individuals, where we just come to our senses like, like the prodigal son, like, what am I doing? Like, how have I gotten here? And I think God is calling us into these, one of these moments where we need to really open our eyes and go like, what are we supposed to be doing with our time? Paul, he, he makes this beautiful letter to, to the church in Corinth. They write him a massive letter. They ask him about sexuality. They ask him about marriage. They ask him about uh, possessions, all of these things. And he's like, listen, those things are not ultimately important. I want you to be devoted to the heart of God, and I want you to be full of love for him and love for others. You see, we can get so off track when we start to follow, when we try and manufacture God's work. And I think that's one of the sins of, of us as a cultural people. We have an overappreciation for mastery. And everybody believes that if you find the right person, you can follow them and they'll have the right way to go forward. But listen, when Jesus shows up on the soil, he's like, I'm not picking the master's. I'm picking the broken pots that I can fill with my Holy Spirit. I can use in powerful ways. So, for us, we're, we're trying to minimize boxing at the wind. And we're trying to maximize the Spirit's movement in three spaces. Communion with the Father, which we work at together on Sundays. We train our hearts to love Him. 
by like forcing ourselves to come to our senses. God, you are real. You are here. You care about me. You are more real than the essence of the floor or the chair that I sit on. You are more eternally substantial than anything I can touch, taste, or feel, or smell. And as we come in the world, in community, we, we seek to, to grow in these communities where the Spirit of God can move. Last night we were at, um, a bunch of the leadership was together. Beautiful dinner. Um, won't tell you who, but somebody just prepared this space. It was just beautiful. Great food. There was food in there. I didn't even know what it was. You know what I mean? Like that kind of food is really good. And we're having a great time. We're sitting around the table and there's joking and it's, it's like, good. It would be a great meal if they're like, oh, here's dessert. But before dessert came, they took time and, and they had actually um, prayed over each person in advance for leadership. It's a massive table. And they took time to prophetically speak life, hope, esteem, power. That room came to life. It came to life not with this world, but heaven like broken where all of a sudden we were talking at a completely different level. And what Paul is getting after, he's saying, I don't want to do it in a way that we can just show up, talk about Jesus, go home, and if the Spirit doesn't show up, nobody knows any different. The biggest tragedy is if we get really good at church, God leaves the building and nobody notices and we just keep doing the thing over and over. It's, it's such a tricky temptation, though, because success in our world is a big deal. None of us, we're all part of an early church plant. Nobody wants to be like, yeah, I failed. Nobody wants that. But, but are we willing to sacrifice doing it God's way to see it succeed? Are we willing to structure it in such a way that, that it looks really good from the outside, but inside it's dwindling, it's dying, there's no spiritual life here? Are we, are we willing to, to build big facilities at the cost of the Spirit of Jesus at work among us? I say no. I want to build a church where, where there's no mistaking. If God doesn't show up, everybody's like, what's wrong? Like if we're talking about Jesus or we're worshiping him or we're interacting with one another, we expect God's presence to be here and we expect to be confronted by his truth. We expect to, to have God move among us and make us uncomfortable, but also draw us towards himself. You see, this is a supernatural thing that we're talking about. It's not something that we can manufacture. But many are trying. Many are trying. And it's a tragedy that, that many people, they have trusted in the wisdom of man with their smoke machines and yada, yada, yada. And when tragedy hits or when the road gets tough, it's empty. And they walk away from Jesus, never even truly experiencing who Jesus is. 
forgive me if that's coming a little too strong as far as it's just, those are examples, right, of, of things that can be done. We can do stuff that doesn't matter, and we need to be really careful. So thinking about that, um, church, when we think about it in uh, illustration form, we often think about church like this, like it's a, a big box. Um, I used to pastor a church that looks like a big Costco. We'll put a steeple on it, okay? Right? This is church. Um, and we want to fill it up. We want to get the people into the church. So you guys, you know, um, every relationship you have, we're going to try and put on this really great show. We're going to try and do a thing that your friends are going to think is almost cool. Um, and they'll tolerate for you. And then we'll try and sneak in Jesus. That's one approach. Um, what we're trying to do is flip the church upside down. Okay? Oh, my. Flip it. Can you see that still? Okay, flip it. Um, because the church isn't a box to be filled. It's actually a people who are intended to grow into a thriving organism. And the church exists to host what God is doing. Okay? Apart from God, we're told that if we're a brand... Sorry, Rachel. Um, it's her plant. I stole it. Um, uh, we're told by Jesus in John 15, apart from you, you can do nothing. Um, in him, we have life. Apart from him, we have no life. And so us together, you guys are great people. I love hanging out with you. But the only life-giving thing is when we're actually bound to Jesus and allow his Holy Spirit to course through us. And so if the Spirit isn't at work among us, we're just a great friend group. Um, so the plant grows, um, and so we want to see the plant grow, um, but if we were to force the box on top of the plant to control it, because this is scary if you're type A, right? It's going all different directions, right? Uh, you, got, you got another plant here. You don't want it to crowd out that plant. Um, so there needs to be some structure, but we don't want to choke out what God is doing, okay? Choke out what God is doing organizationally, okay? We want to support what God is doing, okay? With the appropriate amount of structure, the appropriate amount of support. Because if this plant were to grow, I'm going to pretend it's a climbing rose, I don't know. Um, it would start to fall over and drag on the ground, and so unsupported growth in the church is actually going to create rot in the church. So we have a great board. They're awesome. They're so great at helping to identify areas that we need to strengthen. As a church, we've got to grow in our children's ministry. Yes, we have all these things that we see God moving. But where we place these is built upon what Jesus says is important. Notice there's three support themes. Loving God loving others, making disciples. These are the areas that we pursue as a people, individually and as a group, where we expect to see God move through the power of His Spirit. When I'm, when I'm in devotions with God, I expect to see the Spirit of God on fire working in my relationship with him, that the power of God is giving me confidence. It's giving me peace. It's giving me comfort. It's giving me a confrontation when, when I'm out of alignment with him, when I'm with people 
The, the Spirit of God is powerfully moving to give me compassion, to give me patience, to give me kindness, to give me faithfulness, to give me uh, the other fruits of the Spirit in those contexts. And up these pillars, the body of Christ grows and the Spirit of God moves. And so more and more, I want you to start thinking about your own life. It's like, okay, I got a trellis in here that I want to grow the kingdom of God in my heart. How, how is the vine growing in my relationship with God? Am I communing with Him? Am I seeing Him? Am I hearing Him? Is it growing? And is there fruit coming in that area? Same in community. How are my communal relationships? Am I loving others well? God, Holy Spirit, I need your power at work in loving others today. Please send your power. Send your power. This is not a try harder. This is a spirit come. Spirit come. Um, and the third one is compassion towards the world. Are we seeing God like move in our souls as we're moving around in the world? Are we seeing people? Are we asking God, what are you doing here? Because I want to I grow in what you're doing. I want to partner with where you're at. So when we think about church and simplicity, it's, it's, it's not simplicity for simplicity's sake so you can go live for your own ends. It's keep it simple so that the Spirit has a lot of space to come and manifest and move and break in. Good. Um, so that's, that's the main component for us to consider today is if Jesus says, I'll build my church. You grow the kingdom. And and our heart is to do things in a way that doesn't create unhealthy dependence upon the wisdom of man, the systems we create, or individuals, but on the person of Jesus. That, That is our heart. We have to come and long to hear from God. And I just want to, I want to be really straightforward. When, when COVID came, it, it revealed a lot about what was really going on. And it pulled back the veil, as I was kind of saying. And it, it left me pretty disappointed with um, with the systems that we've created, hoping that they were doing something that they just weren't intended to do minus the Holy Spirit. And so um, for us to single-mindedly focus on the Holy Spirit, to see Him come and transform a people in our lives, um, I think is, is essential for us uh, to see God move. The last thing I'll say is this. We all want to see this grow in our life. We want to see life, vitality. We want to have a vibrant relationship with God. But oftentimes we can kind of discredit ourselves and say, like, who am I? Why would God want to move in my life? I love this story in in Exodus where Moses is walking in the wilderness 
And he notices this flickering flame reflecting off the hills. And it says that he drew near to it and he saw that there was a a tree that was burning. But it was burning and not being destroyed. And he pressed in to see why and what was going on with this tree and a voice, the voice of God spoke to Moses and says, take off your sandals, this is holy ground. And he was terrified and and totally like, okay, yep, sounds great. I'll do that. I'll take off my sandals. It is all good. Yep. And then God spoke to him through that tree that had been immersed in God's presence. There was nothing special about that tree. It was likely a common acacia tree, which is more common than dandelions outside in, in Israel. The thing that made that agacia tree worthy of being seen and captivating was that God's glory was burning on it. I just wonder what that would be like for us. If we would be so if our taste would be so ruined for the world because we're so aware of what it's like to see the face of God. I I wish and I pray, I pray, not wish. I pray that we will be a community dissatisfied with anything less than God's full presence. And that when we notice a waning of his presence, it'll rattle us. And we'll rally and we'll come and we'll seek God's face because his presence is the essence of life. Oh, that God would set on fire our communion with him. Oh, that God would set on fire our relationships together so that moments would break out right at the table that it would be common for us as we have dinner for heaven to break in and for the table to come on fire with his presence? Would it be common for us as we're walking in the, in the world as his followers for our hearts to, to just burst into flame with passion for someone that he's reaching and for us to step into that with courage Fear, reverence, but delight. So let's worship. Um, We're going to take communion. Uh, God, we confess and we do not deny that God, unless your Holy Spirit breaks in right now, just words. So, Lord, we just want to, not because of any means that we have, Lord, we just want to say, show us your glory.
God, we're not here for anything other than you. And so I just pray. that you'd be moving among us. And as you do, would you be declaring that it is your glory, your name, your power, your person who is at work here, Lord. And would you count us worthy to be mantles of your glory? you're in the place, this place tonight and you just don't know what it's like to experience God's power. You've heard about the Spirit of God. But you're not here for that. You're not even sure why you're here. But you keep coming. Lord, just like Paul stated that he didn't come with tricky words, but as a demonstration of your Spirit's power. Oh God, would you take these fumbly words of mine as we proclaim Jesus, you, Lord of glory, creator of all things, crucified. Oh God, it's foolishness to the world, Jesus, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Spirit, we just invite your presence. We invite your your power to rest on our souls. We invite your comfort to come in spaces of discomfort, healing where there's pain, calm where there's anxiety, joy where there's sorrow. Lord, would you make your presence known here? Tonight, if you'd like to um, just invite God to move in your heart, not because of words, but because you want Him. I just encourage you where you're sitting to just show God that somehow, whether it's flipping your hands up and saying, I'm ready to receive you, your power. Or it's kneeling on your knees. Or it's just saying to Him, Jesus, I want you. Father, I want your power. God, we love you and we invite you. Just sit in the Lord's presence. You can take communion when you're ready, but 
let this be a time that you really invite God's Spirit to come in power in your life. Thank you.